1: market rate £3,000 a day were you signing Lionel Messi this is first minister's questions just once just once it would be nice to get a first minister's answer
0: for Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he's been leader conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history
1: The Steamy, a laudable production for The Scotsman. Hello and welcome to The Steamy, The Scotsman's political podcast. My name's Conor Matchett, I'm the Deputy Political Editor at The Paper, and with me, as always, this week is Alistair Grant, our Political Editor. We come to you from a random committee room in the Scottish Parliament, as promised last week when we were in Glasgow for the Scottish Conservative Conference. It's been a relatively quiet week of news ahead of the coronation of King Charles III uh, on Saturday, but it has been one that has had quite a lot of tete-a-tete within uh, the Scottish Parliament chamber. Let's talk though, to first about Hamza uh, Yusuf's anti-poverty mission that he kind of set out yesterday um, or Wednesday for, for when you're listening to this uh, and kind of what that demonstrates and what, what he was trying to do.
0: So I think this is Hamza Yusuf's big uh, attempt to get on the front foot, to put across some of his own message. He's obviously been embroiled in weeks of negative headlines for the SNP on the back of the ongoing police investigation into the party's funding and finances, um, he's had to deal with all the kind of fallout from that. He's not really had a chance to put across any of his own ideas, any of his own messages. And poverty is one of his big things, fighting poverty. It actually came up quite a lot during the SNP leadership race, both from him and Kate Forbes. So they obviously have very different ideas about how to how to get there, how to actually combat the issue best. So Hamza Youssef is bringing together uh, a number of different organisations, a number of different charities, third sector groups also opposition political parties, I think you were there yesterday in the room, um, and was essentially saying that tough decisions will have to be made and he's going to take a look at all the kind of policies of the SNP, all the things they've promised in their manifestos and take a look at them from the perspective of of what will best uh, target um, measures to improve this issue, measures to fight poverty, measures to tackle poverty. Uh, and essentially some of his rhetoric was suggesting that the SNP are moving away from this idea of universal free services that has been a bit of a, um, a bit of a kind of you know, a foundation club. stone yeah. of the SNP's approach to these issues for so long now. We've also yeah. got free prescriptions, free university tuition. Whenever they roll out policies, it's often the kind of universal nature of it is much trumpeted. Um, and Hamza Yousaf is very much signalling that that is not going to be the default approach from here on in, albeit some of these policies are already kind of set in stone, aren't going to be reopened and re-examined. And the example he was using was free school meals. So I think today, Thursday, when we're speaking, there's been a bit of movement on this with the deputy first minister, Shona Robinson on the radio this morning saying that essentially the, the continued plan to roll out free school meals for P6s and P7s will continue. So it still is the Scottish government's aim for all primary school pupils to have free school meals. And um, this is something that was meant to be in place, I think last year, it was delayed. Obviously we've had a number of things delayed in the back of the pandemic, yeah. but the intention is still to do that. Where there is something they're taking another look at was this idea to move that into secondary schools and to have secondary school pupils benefit from this. So I think I think the wording in the SNP manifesto was to look at a pilot around this, to to move free school meals into secondary schools. And Hamza Yousaf was very much signalling, signalling that that is not the intention anymore. Or that at least they're going to take another look at it. I think frustratingly when journalists have put this to some of the team around Hamza Yusuf um, the line at the moment is that all the policies stand until they don't. So essentially when they're having a look at all these policies and what could potentially uh, come under the, the kind of target as to things are going to change or maybe roll back on, there seems to be a signal at the moment they're having this kind of wider debate, they're starting this process but they're not going to give any clarity on what their thinking is until, they, until they're further down the line, which is really frustrating for journalists.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're absolutely desperate to make clear or make it clear that what they're trying to do is have an open and honest conversation with the public. This is the phrase that kept coming up in the uh, media briefing that we have with um, special advisers and spokespeople after First Minister's questions. It was this idea of, you know, the First Minister is setting out the direction of travel. He's talking about what he wants to do what his priorities are and also being as the wording suggests honest with the people of Scotland that you know this is a this is actually quite a difficult choice he certainly seemed i think to have been been using the last couple of days with the poverty stuff to make a break from the sturgeon era which was as you say kind of defined by universalism to a degree and move it more towards this kind of targeted approach more generally not only because, A, that might actually shift the dial on poverty a bit more than maybe a universal approach would, but also because the funding and the finances are nowhere near as rosy as they were three or four years ago. It's worth <laughs> pointing out that um, one of the uh, phrases used to me was that it was the three T's were set out yesterday at the Anti-Poverty Summit at Dovecut Studios, which was tax, targeting, and tough choices. I think we're going to hear a lot more of that kind of theme. That's a fourth T for you, even though it doesn't sound like a theme <laughs> um, going forward. Certainly, I th- I would expect up until the budget, I think it's potentially underestimated how much of a tough choice the tax choice is going to be in December. Um, but there's a there's a suggestion that there might be a new tax ban put in place at around the 75,000 mark um, to tax what comes use if defined as wealthy.
0: Yeah, so I think that's the other thing I was going to bring up. Tax is the other big part of yeah. this. Potentially more tax for higher earners. And I think he was saying that he had kind of praised that policy put forward by the STUC, yeah. the Scottish Trade Unions Congress, which was for that extra tax ban. I can't remember off the top of my head what the, I think it was something like 44p 44% in a 44 it was, yeah. Yeah, for salaries of above 75,000 yeah. or something like that. Uh, and interestingly, Hamza Yusuf was saying someone asked him if he considers himself wealthy or something like that. Was it yourself, Connor? I asked him. <laughs> And he said yes. So he earns, you know, presumably...
1: £120,000, I think it is, yeah. around
0: Yeah. So you, he's kind of giving an indication as, as to the kind of people they're going to be mm-hmm. targeting with this. So uh, taxation is always a tough thing for governments to uh, put forward ideas on, there's always a backlash, you'd expect a backlash from the Scottish Conservatives there's already a narrative that they always push about Scotland being the highest tax part of the UK there's also fears around this about behavioural change mm. the well, the wealthier you are, the more able you are to change your tax arrangements or even change your location in a kind of drastic move to uh, better I don't want to use the word avoid tax but have
1: better tax arrangements for yourself. I think as well there's a lot of I wonder if you would agree with that this anti-poverty approach its obviously very natural for the SNP. It came very naturally to Kate Forbes uh, in her leadership campaign. It was something that Nicola Sturgeon was very strong about. Even going back to the Salmond years, you know, reducing poverty um, was viewed as a key mission of the SNP. But Hamza Youssef has a different political enemy than the Conservatives at the minute he needs to outflank Scottish Labour, who are chomping at the heels of of him and his lead. And I think a lot of what we've seen in the last few days is him trying to get the jump on Scottish Labour and trying to demonstrate that he is serious about the issues that Anasawa <laughs> is going to push, you know, onward, ongoingly, until the next general election and t- until the next Holyrood election.
0: Yeah, the other thing about tackling poverty is it's obviously a really great political aim. One of the things that's difficult about it is getting those results yeah. that actually getting to a point where you can say that we have made a difference it's one of the major problems that Nicola Sturgeon uh, came up with or sorry had to deal with when she had her line about uh, kind of narrowing the educational attainment gap the poverty related educational attainment gap being one of her key priorities and these things are incredibly hard to do it's very easy to say that's one of your key political priorities it's much harder to prove that you've actually made a difference because there's so many different things that have an impact on poverty it's such a multifaceted thing uh, if you're going to try and you know put in place political policies to target to target things like poverty, it's quite hard to it's it's just an extremely hard thing for him to choose as a defining mission.
1: It'll be really interesting as well because we one of the things that came out of the summit and today as well is this idea that you mentioned it earlier, you know all policies stand until they don't because what's going on in government at the minute is this effective like, uh, you know, you were on holiday looking going to a, uh, a screening of The Wicker Man, weren't you, at, at the weekend? Um, and uh, they're basically building their own Wicker Man of poli- potential policies to, to ditch at the minute. <laughs> yes. in, in, in government, it's a stretch, but we're going with it. <laughs> um, they're going to set various things on fire. You know, the, the top talk at the minute is, you know, we're going to go from a universal position to a targeted position. And there are swathes of policy that could fall by the wayside on that. They're not talking about rolling back things like free prescription or free tuition fees, but things, things like, for example, the pilot of secondary school universal free school meals, things like universal free dental charges, you know, all of these things that are in the manifesto, but might be judged to be too expensive. It'd be very interesting to see to what extent the government does like that policy wicker man and, you know, kind of burn their manifesto to the ground. So
0: it's use Yusuf, like the Christopher Lee character, Lord Summerisle, desperately hoping that apples will grow next year and next year's harvest will be good. <laughs> Otherwise he knows that he's next for the chopping
1: block. He needs a positive 2025, doesn't he? But let's, let's move on from, from talking about tough choices to tough choice, which is um, highly protected marine areas which have dominated the political discussion this week in Holyrood and um, these are plans to make around 10% of um, Scotland's inland waters no-take zones for fishers um, and also limiting recreational and human activity in general. Um, take us through as to why this is an issue and why it's causing a bit of a political headache for Humza Youssef and the government.
0: So it's something that almost sounds a bit technical but as you see highly protected marine areas to kind of cover 10% of Scottish waters which have the argument goes, a real impact on a lot of rural communities. So if you're banning fishing from these areas, a lot of these rural communities rely on fishing, or there's many jobs in them that rely on fishing. And it's been been something that's kind of played into a wider debate in Scotland about this divide between rural and urban Scotland, Uh, the divide between the Central Belt and places like the Highlands and Islands, and this kind of perception that decisions are made in Edinburgh, in Holyrood, that affect the Highlands and Islands, but don't consult them properly or there's not been enough kind of conversations around them. And essentially there there is a consultation that went out on this uh, that closed, I think, a couple of weeks ago um, that got a massive amount of responses. Um, So the government is saying that this is very early stages. Uh, I think their position is that they're not going to impose this on communities, Uh, although their language around this has slightly changed. So their language now is that they're not going to impose it on communities who have expressed vehement opposition or something like that. Uh, And it's not clear what that actually means in practice. I think even uh, the use of the word communities, it's not clear what what they mean by that. So there's a lot of uncertainty around this, and it's just feeding into this perception that the government is uh, in some way disconnected from these areas. And you've got these SNP, MSPs, so this came up, there was a vote in Holyrood that the Scottish Conservatives had tabled about this on Wednesday, um, that essentially led to three SNP MSPs, all of them former ministers, Fergus Ewing Alistair Allen and Kate Forbes voting against the Scottish government motion on HPMAs and to have, I think there's three other SNP MSPs who abstained so that's six SNP MSPs essentially rebelling against the government
1: Annabelle Ewing, Christine Graham and Ash Reagan I believe
0: Yeah, so I think it's On the face of it it seems like a small rebellion, but I think for Hamza Youssef to be dealing with this in his first few weeks, it's a sign of potentially how difficult this could get if they start properly going down this route. Uh, You've got figures as well, like Alistair Allen, who's, you know, he's not known for being an outspoken backbencher. He's not known for being someone who causes trouble in the same way that Fergus Ewing quite likes to with the Scottish Government. Fergus Ewing is very outspoken these days uh, on a number of issues and very, very much not aligned with the Scottish Government's policy. Alistair Allen is not like that at all. And I think to have him standing up in Holyrood and essentially saying that everyone he has spoken to, you know, to the best of his knowledge and his constituency is against these plans. He's never known opposition like it. He felt, um, he said it wasn't something he did lightly, but he just felt he had to send the government a message about this, he had to vote against it. I think that's something that will cause Hamza Yusuf and uh, the Scottish government some concern. I think my own prediction is that they will not I mean, it's quite hard to say what they'll do next, but I can not see these plans going through to the legislative stage as they stand right now in the same way that they are at the moment, just because of this
1: level of opposition. Definitely feels like there's a degree of preparation for rolling back on some sort of degree of these plans. I think the other thing that is fair to say for the Scottish Government is that they are at a very early stage of what these HPMAs would look like. Um, exactly they haven't defined as you mentioned what a community is you know and that's an important question due to the fact that a community on in terms of the waters you know could be fishermen who or fishers who come from miles away in their boats to fish in waters off sky or off the west Niles. So, you know it's not necessarily just the people who happen to be living on the land directly next to to the area and they've also not def- defined what vehement opposition is as you said but it'd be interesting to see whether or not they can reach a compromise with the Scottish Greens. Now, it's, it, it, that's important, I think, due to the fact of the 10% figure is in the House Agreement. It's clearly a Scottish Green-driven policy in general. Um, it didn't sound, when I asked about it, the First Minister's questions, like they were the SNP would have done it to the degree that they're having to do it now had they won a majority instead of being relied on the Scottish Greens. Um, but we're at the point where... You know, could the Scottish Greens maybe get a bit stronger rent controls, for example, to drop HPMAs as a being as maybe the ten percent target by 2026? Maybe that target becomes 2036 or 2040. Um, it would be very interesting to see where we go from from here. I thought one of the best moments of the parliamentary session so far this year was Fergus Ewing um, ripping up the consultation document in front of Mario McAllen the yeah. Cabinet yeah, Secretary for Net Zero, full on like proper parliamentary drama. It was great. Yeah, yeah,
0: and to have a SNP backbencher, albeit you know, Fergus Ewing, not not a not a stranger to being a foreigner yeah. side of the Scottish government, but it's still you know it was dramatic, and I think from his point of view, you know, he represents uh, Inverness and Nairn, uh, a rural constituency. They do have real concerns about this. And Kate yeah. Forbes, you know, during the SNP leadership race, uh, had brought up this issue and made it quite clear where she stood in it. Uh, again represents our rural constituency. So it's, it's these SNP MSPs who are clearly getting it in the neck from their constituents. They know the level of opposition that exists to this. Uh, and I think they are the ones that are really concerned about uh, any kind of electoral backlash, but also just concerned in the sense of uh, the jobs of their constituents, the the potential impact in their communities, particularly when some of these issues, you know, Alistair and Western Isles, um, there's, there's wider societal issues if you have, a kind of disruption there. You've got concerns over the future of the Gaelic language. All these
1: kind of issues could come into play here. And it's important as well to note that you know it doesn't. The, the 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 warnings around HPMAs from the industry and from locals are this is going to ruin our local economy. It's going to put people out of jobs. It's going to force people to leave the islands and move to the mainland or move you know to more populated areas and do different work. It'd be interesting to see how the final version of hbmas fits with what we were talking about earlier which is this drive to reduce poverty now poverty in urban areas is relatively easy to spot it's something that governments are used to being able to see because it's where they're based it's often where a lot of the expertise is based rural poverty much harder to see harder to measure and also harder to fix given the lack of connections you know comparatively to services. Um, i will mean, be interesting to see how Amso Yusuf balances that. I think it's also really notable that this is the first thing that Kate Forbes has come out strongly in opposition to since her defeat in the way that she's done it in Parliament. This isn't just her on Twitter talking about free speech. This is her actively showing that she does not agree with government policy, demonstrates she could never have taken a position in Cabinet and in, in any job.
0: We also had an islands bill not so long ago that mm. the entire one of the whole purposes of it was that any legislation that went through the Scottish Parliament would bear in mind its impact on yeah. the islands and rural communities. This seems to be a clear case of that happening. And you've also had, you know, you've had a protest song released for the band Skippinish. You've had, you know, it's all sorts. It's really becoming uh, for such a an issue that when you when you hear the phrase highly protected marine areas, it's not exactly It doesn't scream news to you, but it's become a total headache for the scottish government i think
1: having said that one uh scottish government source said to me the other day that you know if you ask someone in Westerhales Hales or you know in in govern in in glasgow what they think of hp they'll probably get angry about other things in, together and be asking you what you're doing about the cost of living crisis there's a degree, degree to which the SNP's core vote isn't going to be bothered about this
0: yeah i mean i don't think uh Listeners from rural areas will be heartened by that.
1: I don't think <laughs> if that is that. the position. Demonstrates a approach potentially from the government of, you know, they. they I think they recognise that this is going to cause them headaches. It's whether or not they believe that the cost benefit of the policy and the benefits of having greens in government outweighs the costs of the damage that it could do to their votes in in rural parts of the country. I don't know what what could happen there. The test is probably going to be uh, the Western Isles. Um, general election seat, which is going to be fought quite tightly between Angus McNeill and uh, Torquil Crichton from, you know, the SNP and Labour. It's a tight seat. Could be a bellwether seat for that for that general election and for the for the rest of rural Scotland. Last thing we'll briefly discuss today is, we, it's been a relatively quiet week um, in terms of the ongoing police probe into the SNP. We haven't had any arrests for a while, obviously. Listeners will know that Peter Murrell, the former chief executive, Colin Beatty, the MSP and former treasurer, both arrested and released without charge pending further investigation in relation to this. What we did have today was a interesting intervention from the former SNP chief spin doctor, Murray Foote, um, who, of course, had to resign over membership numbers controversy after he lied to the members of the press about the number of members the S P had. But take us through Aston, what he said today that made the news effectively. And um, what what was Murray Murray Foote's position on the on the investigation?
0: Yeah so like you say Murray Foote, the former SNP media chief who resigned over that controversy about membership numbers, I think his position was that he'd acted in good faith and he'd simply been repeating a line that he had been told by the party but he had this it's quite extraordinary piece in the daily record today it was on the the front page of the paper and um, essentially essentially saying that he's willing to bet that the police investigation into the party's finances will not lead to charges i think he was speculating that it's that it could be a wild goose chase and um, he had had a, a part of the article that was about what he called the grotesque spectacle mm. of the the scale of the police presence at Nicola Sturgeon and Peter Murrell's home in the outskirts of Glasgow and the, the kind of police uh, essentially raiding the SNP's headquarters in central Edinburgh. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite extraordinary to have him coming out and openly questioning the police investigation like that. But I think one of the things to point out about this is that his... Views on this. I mean, he was comparing it to, or not comparing it to, but drawing attention to the kind of Rangers scandal and the malicious prosecutions around that. Um, but I certainly heard the idea that the police have somehow overreached or potentially overreached into this uh, this kind of spectacle of the, you know the tent outside Nicola Sturgeon's home and the scale of the police presence. I've certainly heard, and I know you have, to uh, quite a few figures in the SNP expressing similar sentiments to that. And that they were surprised and in some cases quite shocked by the scale of the uh, the police kind of presence in at, at Nicola Sturgeon's house and at S and P headquarters. Even if they're not questioning the police investigation itself and the fact that, you know, these are serious issues, they need to be looked into. There there is a lot of disquiet within the party about, about that aspect of it.
1: Yeah, I think it's something that but effectively what Murray Foot's done in that interview is articulate in public what I would say the majority of SNP figures I've been thinking and saying in private to 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 us and other journalists uh, about how they view this, which is that, you know, maybe something has been done illegally here, but the police have gone too far. And if they don't find anything and they aren't able to charge, um, that is going to become a problem for the police um, at the end of all this, of course. It is really important to note, not just for the Contempt of Court Act, but just in general, that there are no charges against any member of the SNP, um, and we don't actually know still um, what crime uh, the two SNP figures were arrested under the suspicion. Like oh,
0: that's a point that Murray Food makes in his piece that actually there's a lot of speculation around this. There's a lot spe- especially in social media, mm-hmm. especially let's be honest in Hollywood, yeah. it's a huge topic of conversation. There's lots of different theories advanced, but.
1: No one really knows anything. No, it's all up in the air. Um, And we might have more news on this next week. Who knows? It could be arrests. It could all be dropped. We have absolutely no idea. Uh, We probably know as much as you do at home on this one. And that's all we've got time for uh, this week. Thank you very much, Alistair, for joining us. Thank you very much at home for listening. Just so you know, there's no update from Westminster because Alexander Brown is on holiday and yes, he does deserve dislike for that. Um, Thank you very much um, to you at home for listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.